0: Hey, real quick, I wanted to let you know about an upcoming conference that you might be interested in attending. It's the Joy in the Home Marriage and Family Conference featuring Todd as the guest speaker. It takes place Saturday, September 17th at Foothills Community Church in Marble Hill, Georgia. Hey, that's my church. The conference will start at 5 30 p.m. with dinner provided just prior to the conference at 4 30 p.m. by Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I told him to do that just to get up Todd's nose. So if you live in the North Georgia area or you just want to make the drive, make your plans now to attend on Saturday September the 17th by going to foothills org to get all of the details and your tickets we can't wait to see you and now
1: our British friend wretched radio begins in three two. If
2: the God of the Bible really exists, I would go gladly to hell. And anybody happy to go to heaven to worship such a creature is morally bankrupt.
0: It is because God's wrath is real that His mercy is relevant. Unless you have a
1: real wrath, the biblical concepts of mercy and of grace are robbed of their meaning.
2: It's time for Wretched Radio. With Tom Frio. Welcome to 10 tips to help you not become a heretic. This is Wretched Radio. Who wants to be known as a false teacher? Actually, a lot of people, apparently, because we have a slew of them, but you don't want to be on the false teacher list. And so, for your consideration, courtesy of cripplegate.com, Ten tips to keep you from straying into the weeds of heresy. This is actually a list that was compiled from a lecture given by Nancy Guthrie at Christ College in Sydney. The subject was biblical theology, and she offered ten ways that biblical theology helps Christians, specifically It helps us to rightly divide the word of truth, because these days there are far too many of us and far too many youth, perhaps even especially young'uns, that don't really understand the overarching narrative of the Bible. They don't know where things fit. They know stories, but they don't know the story. And so you can ask a young person, hey, now give me one of your favorite stories. Oh, David and Goliath. Cool. Where does that fit in the biblical narrative? What? They, they, they don't. It's just a story. And I remember this because I remember when I first started reading the Bible, when I was desiring to understand it, it was, it was this is why so many people can just flop their Bible open. I'm going to read the Bible. I'll just put it on its binding and... Pfft. Read it right there because it doesn't really matter. Hopefully, it's something interesting. Otherwise, I'm out. We need to make sure that our children understand there is a flow to Scripture. It is a story of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is historical narrative, actual history, and it is not wandering aimlessly. It is purposeful. And we need to do perhaps a better job of helping our kids use biblical theology when they read the stories of the Bible. Uh, Let's tackle our top 10 ways to not become a heretic. Number one, biblical theology makes Bible study Christ-centered instead of me-centered. If you remember that the Bible is about Jesus, you're less inclined to ask, what does that verse say to me? Now, there is an application for me and for you, but the question is, what does this verse say about God? What does this tell me about Jesus Christ? If all of creation is like a spotlight, it is aimed at the throne of Jesus, we need to make sure when we're reading our Bibles that we are reading it to know him and to focus on him, and then we can apply it to us. From the article, failure to study the Bible this way leads to interpreting Scripture by how it relates to you, which leads to selfishness and pride. And I don't know about you, but I got plenty of that, and I don't need no more. Number two, biblical theology teaches the larger story of the Bible instead of disconnected vignettes. What in the world is... Actually, I think I've had a vignette on my salad once in a... (laughs) <laughs> While from the article, by t- tying the parts into the whole, you see the gospel is central. Failure leads to reading Bible stories as if they were written to teach moral lessons. That's why so often so many sermons. Okay, open your Bible to Second Samuel. That we're going there. Okay. And then we read about somebody we may or may not be familiar with them, and then we are given a moral lesson. There could be a moral inside of that historical narrative, but that's not the point, the preeminent point of the Bible. It's to help us to see God's plan of redemption promised in Genesis 3.15, in the beginning, man sins, we are now faced with death, thorns, Pain in childbearing, and God promises, I'm going to send a seed to crush the head of the serpent, but it's going to bruise his heel. Who's the seed? That's what the whole Bible is about. It is not uncommon for us at Wretched to receive emails from people asking, which is an excellent question, how do I tackle this book? How do I read this thing? Well, there are a lot of different ways you can slice the bread, but if we don't remember that the Bible is about the bread of life, we're just going to start knowing stories. I'm thinking back now. I remember being catechized. That's right. I said catechized. And we had to memorize stuff, a lot of stuff. And then you had to stand there by yourself in a room with a teacher who quizzed you on it to make sure you knew. When did King David live? Did, which came first, Abraham or Moses? We need to be teaching those dates inside of the context of the big story, and biblical theology helps us to do just that. Number three, biblical theology helps us make sense of the whole Bible rather than the part of what we happen to like. It's easier to understand narratives over types So we focus on the stories that we dig instead of things like, what do you mean Jesus is the tabernacle? Wait wait a second, David is a picture of Jesus? Let's just read about David and his son Absalom so we can have some parenting tips about how to be a better dad. We like that. That's not the reason that we have David in the Bible. It is to point to Jesus who's the better David. We need to use biblical theology number four it helps us to understand challenging stories instead of questioning god here's an example hosea this is a story you want the guy to marry a prostitute what why in the world would god do that it's to paint a picture for us of god's patience and faithfulness and willingness to forgive. That is what Hosea is about, not how to control your wife. Although I suspect that sermon has been preached more than once. Number five, biblical theology leads us to study what we need to know most instead of what we want to know most. Without biblical theology, we have a tendency to approach the Bible like a great big concordance. I need to know something about spending. I'm gonna go look up the word money. Okay, that's fine. We can certainly do that. In fact, frankly, we should do that. I find that to be a fun exercise. Yep, I'm that dorky, but that doesn't really help us to understand the Bible when we go look for this and we're scattershot all over the place. Instead, remembering the arc of the story, you turn to that section of Scripture and you remember this is about Jesus. This is pointing to him. Now, you might say there's an awful lot of details in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then they, they get taken away to Assyria, then Babylon, and per- Persia. Why, why, why? What, how is that all pointing to Jesus? It's God's faithfulness to his Abrahamic covenant of a land, a nation, and a seed. That is what the Old Testament is about. Now you read it that way and suddenly it's like, oh, I get it, this thing actually flows and goes. If we apply biblical theology, it focuses on the consummation of all things rather than on the individual's arrival in heaven. I thought this was interesting. When we don't read the Bible, Understanding the great narrative is Jesus, it leads to themes terminating on self. And those thematic chords terminate when the individual gets saved and has the assurance of heaven. Biblical theology pushes you forward to consummation. The story isn't done. God did not raise Jesus from the dead and then go, all righty all done, let's move on. No, he's still working, building his church for the consummation of all things. Number eight, biblical theology helps us make sense of suffering. Oops, I forgot seven. That's okay. Seven wasn't very good anyway. I'll just be honest with you. Biblical theology helps us make sense of suffering by finding answers in how we relate back to God rather than finding answers in our circumstances. Let me explain. Biblical theology drives somebody who is hurting to a deeper answer. Because sin has wrecked the world and sin causes death and we are weak with limited knowledge, but God knows all things, gave up his only son so that we could be united with him in the resurrection and restored to the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, that's the role my suffering plays. But if you remove the big picture, your suffering is rather random, perhaps capricious, and you're getting angry with God. Number nine, biblical theology equips us to communicate gospel to the kids rather than moralism. David and Goliath ain't about how to be brave. It's about Jesus, the better David, slaying Sin on our behalf, number 10, biblical theology, stirs up affection for Christ and gives us a greater longing for his return. The most practical thing a pastor can do is teach his congregation to love Jesus and long to see his face. That's more practical than a three-step parenting sermon series that helps you to manage your money better. Question, when you read your Bible, Are you using biblical theology to love Jesus more? This is Wretched Radio. You're familiar with this sound, you're sitting in church, your pastor is preaching, you have your John MacArthur Study Bible open, the pastor is reading the scripture and all of a sudden you hear everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines? They typically make about 12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item and it would be such a blessing, $25 a Bible. Four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible.
0: Okay, so I've got a question for you. When was the last time you snuck something in the mail that actually made it to its destination on time? Has it been a while? We feel your pain because at the Wretched Store, we've also been having trouble promising delivery dates for your purchases, and we don't like that at all. Which is why our annual digital sale couldn't have come at a better time. Tomorrow through Sunday, you'll find the digital download and stream of select resources in the Wretched Store marked 50% off. And that's a win-win-win. How so? Simple. Number one, half off regular price. That's a win for you. Number two, immediate delivery and no waiting. Another win for you. And number three, you're happy because you've saved money and didn't have to wait. That's a win for us. See, a win-win-win for everyone all the way around. So don't miss this opportunity that only comes around once a year. Our annual digital sale tomorrow through Sunday only at the Wretched Store and Wretched.org.
2: Two. Know
1: Your Reformers Martin Luther was a German monk and professor who was plagued with doubt about his salvation. When he finally read the Bible for himself, he rediscovered the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. His bold witness for biblical truth was the spark that ignited the Protestant
2: Reformation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Life lessons from... Little House on the Prairie, this is Wretched Radio. Do you recall the skirmishes that took place in Minnesota on the prairie when people gathered to figure out who's going to be teaching our kids? We need ourselves a school marm. Who's it going to be? This one, that one. We need somebody who really qualifies for the role because they're going to be responsible for teaching our kids. What I'm trying to say is school battles Began a long time ago. Fast forward off the little house, you can go to the East Coast. Seminaries started by godly men for the propagation of the gospel. Think Princeton. Think Harvard. You know, the old Veritas school that was connected to Christ. These were all institutions. That had a Christian purpose. If you visited any of the Ivy League schools, you've noticed it's not the same. They do not appear to look the way that they were created to exist. Instead, we find ourselves looking at liberal bastions where people are being indoctrinated by, well, frankly, let's just get used to saying it Marxism. It's what's being indoctrinated, downloaded constantly to the kids, not to mention the smut that they are exposed to. What happened? Well, we recognize that schools are important. That's why Christians founded and started them. But the liberals also recognize, hey, wait a second. If we can control the mind of a kid, we got him for life. A fellow with a really bad German mustache Understood that you got to get the kids, and so liberals invade schools. They rarely start up a liberal institution, although these days you probably could, and it would be successful. But historically, because all of our institutions were started way more conservatively/slash biblically, they go in and they take them over. They, they 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 make their way into positions of power, and then they start downloading their theology, which is lacking God. So I guess it would just be ology is what it. No, it'd just be logy. is what. Yes, it would just be their lugus that gets downloaded to the kids and it gets infested into the systems. And so we see universities toppling down. Fast forward to today. The battle is raging in local schools. No doubt you have seen some of the videos of parents who have had the courage to stand up at a school board meeting and say, whoa, 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 let me, let me just read to you from this book that is in your library, and they shut the person down because it's so dirty they don't want anybody hearing it, which is why they're controlling the libraries. We just saw this in Texas because a couple of people complained Certain books got put onto the the watch list of books that need to be reconsidered in light of the the new criteria that is used to determine if that's appropriate for kids or not. Now, thankfully, there's a couple of books in there that should be on there that Bobby wants to be Sally. But the Bible is on that list. What is going on? It's the battle for our schools. For your consideration... Here are some of those skirmishes, which, by the way, have led to 2 million students leaving public schools since 2020. A group called Education Next. Apparently, they're nonpartisan. Is anybody really? Public schools declined from 81 to 76.5%. Charter school enrollment went up 5%. Private enrollment increased 1.7%. And homeschooling went up 0.6%. Perhaps it's because a lot of people are recognizing, I just can't leave my kid in that cauldron. Let's take a look at Australia. Now, this happens to be Australia, but I think this is going... No, there's one in Australia. This stuff is here. According to the Herald Sun, a girl identifies as a cat. And the private school she attends allows her to be nonverbal and act feline, as long as she doesn't become a distraction to other students. Um... I think you automatically become a distraction to other students when you're allowed to sit there and meow and lick your paws that you don't actually possess. This particular school, hey, if that's the way you express yourself, then we're just going to leave you alone. This is going on in the States. It's going on in Australia. I know it because I know teachers and they tell me so. People thinking that they're cats in schools that say, yeah, that works. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. And speaking of cats, it seems to me that if we are all thumbs up as a culture about genital mutilation with our children when it comes to their genders, shouldn't we come up with a procedure to apply a tail to these feline kids? Shouldn't we help them grow fur all over their body? Shouldn't we help them? I've got to cut off their finger. See, what you can do is you can just cut off their fingers, And then that's almost like a paw. And even as I say this, anybody with an ounce of common sense would go, don't be ridiculous, and I say, bingo. How unimaginable is it that we are allowing our kids to be put under a surgeon's scalpel to mutilate their bodies? Speaking of which, received a really thoughtful email from Ron. He said, maybe we can use the Mott and Bailey when it comes to genital mutilation or gender care. You know, the Mott and Bailey, we have a concept we agree on. Then we somebody goes out to the streets to apply it in a really wonky way. You tag them on it, and then they go back to the original premise and say, well, don't you want it to be like we agreed? We're arguing over the application of it, but this is a liberal tactic that I actually think that we could use. So let's, let's try to Mott and Bailey back at progressives. Wouldn't you agree we shouldn't mutilate people's bodies? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Therefore, we shouldn't allow gender reconstructive surgery. Hey, we gotta let people be people. But don't you want people to not have their bodies mutilated? See what we did right there? It's a motton Bailey. Maybe we could use that in our schools. California school refuses to change long-held policy. This is since, I think they've been in business since 1970-something. It's a Christian school, therefore, they have rules about how you can behave. Fancy that. Well, that rascally teacher sent out an email to everybody saying, just want to remind you parents, these are our standards and values regarding sexuality, and if somebody acts outside of those bounds, they will be sent home. Oh! Okay. Death threats. The guy is receiving death threats. It's in Florida, and this, uh, this is uh, Grace Christian School. The administrator is standing firm. He's standing up and saying, look, this is what we've always taught. I can't believe that you don't understand this. Why are you suddenly coming after us? Oh, yeah, because morality has changed and they don't want schools that don't indoctrinate children with their foolishness. This guy, quote, if I back down from something like this, I'm abandoning what God has said is the truth. I kind of rack my brain to like, how is this hard for people to understand? (laughs) This is what God said. This is one of the many reasons we have a Christian school and we're not going to abandon this policy. God has spoken on these issues. I think this is an example of an individual who is demonstrating the courage that is necessary to not be silent in these situations. Now, the man's family has been receiving death threats. Other teachers, I believe, have also received death threats. Nevertheless, he says we, we just can't change it. Why? Quote, We believe that God created mankind in his image, male and female. We're different, but with equal dignity. In other words, that's the basis for our morality. Therefore, one's biological sex must be affirmed, and no attempt should be made to physically change, alter, or disagree with one's biological gender, including but not limited to elective sex reassignment, transvestite, transgender, or non-binary gender fluid acts of conduct. I have no idea what most of that means. Students in school will be referred by their gender on their birth certificate and be referenced in name in the same fashion. And the world is howling because he's simply saying, this is what God says. There's a battle for our schools going on right now. I have a stack of stories that indicate there is a lot of tussle happening. I'm not telling you that you've got to engage in that tussle. Everybody needs to decide. But we need to recognize if you totally lose those institutions, you've got a culture that is just going to continue to devolve. What can you do? I think you need to figure that out based on your life. I think you need to determine how involved you want to be. You've got other considerations, other ministries. But might I suggest that we do not overlook the social skirmishes that are taking place and fail to remember there are wars going on for our schools. Nothing new under the sun. This is Wretched Radio. This is Ratchet Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hanks.
0: And we start with news that won't shock, but obviously does disappoint. Pope Francis has reappointed Father James Martin to another five-year term as a Vatican communications advisor, and it's disappointing news because Martin is very pro-LGBT and has worked pretty hard to promote the sinful ideology. Some of his most disturbing actions include promoting an image that was drawn that depicts Jesus as a homosexual, and Martin has also described viewing God as a male as, quote, damaging. And it's also important to note that Martin is not supported by all Catholics. Many actually condemn his position and actions, though it seems he and the pontiff appear to have strong ties. Well, while there are tons of, quote, medical experts across the country touting body mutilation as helpful for minors, real experts seem to have very opposite positions. And I'm talking about real experts like the president of the American College of Pediatricians, the Florida Surgeon General, medical professors from Washington University, and even multiple secular psychiatrists from Johns Hopkins, who all are spreading the same message that puberty blockers are child abuse and a gateway to surgical mutilation. You know, I just wonder why so many people hate children so much. (laughs) To allow them to do this type of harm to themselves is absolutely disgraceful. But do you remember in 2008 when GM and Chrysler were given government bailouts? Whatever your position was on that, I think we would all prefer those bailouts over the ones being given to a privately owned abortion business in Newfoundland. One million taxpayer dollars are being given to Athena Health Center so it can continue murdering babies. Apparently, the abortion mill is in danger of shutting its doors and the government in Newfoundland sees that as a bad thing. A federal judge in Texas has blocked the Biden administration's HHS guidance that would require ER doctors in pro-life states to perform abortions. In a statement on the ruling, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said that the HHS guidance was just the latest unlawful action by the Biden administration. Paxton also tweeted that the ruling was a win for babies, mothers and the Texas healthcare care industry, but mostly babies. Well, there appears to be some infighting within the LGBT camp. The hashtag LGBTrop the tea has been trending on Twitter recently, as it seems some believe the transgender movement has hijacked the gay rights movement and made it unrecognizable. The most popular tweet that's being shared around is an image of a hand with scissors cutting the T out of LGBT, saying no pride in sexualizing children, usurping women's rights. And obviously, while I still have many disagreements with those pushing to drop the T-trend, I can't say I disagree with them on this. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks.
1: Books of the Bible Zechariah was a prophet who preached God's judgment, repentance, and the promise of salvation to the Jews returning from exile. He relays a series of apocalyptic visions, focusing on the coming of Christ, the final salvation of God's people, and the final judgment upon sinners. Remember that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of prophecy. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Todd, you
0: okay? You know, hey, hey, we started.
2: Yeah, so have I. Okay. I don't know what you've started. This is Ratchet Radio. I'm your host, Todd the Todd the Persian. I think that's yeah, I'm a Persian cat. That's what I identify as. I like
0: Todd Feline Freel better. Ooh, yeah.
2: I see what you did right there. <laughs> Todd Feline Friel. It's it's sort of it's sort of like a you know, like a race car driver who has a cool name. Yeah, that's Todd it. Feline. I'm your host. <laughs> (laughs) believe me, I'm a cat, you would say, we need to jump in and help that fellow. We need to rescue that individual from this delusion that they're actually a cat. And yet our schools allow it. They don't, I don't, if a kid comes to school, with some sort of tail sewed onto the back of their blue jeans <laughs> so what. They've got a little collar on with a little bell that goes, ding-a-ly, ding a ding ding. They, hey, knock it off. I don't think that should be the response at all. It should be, hey, let's talk about this and meet privately to get those young people some help. But isn't it wise to raise a question if kids are desiring to change their gender and their species by becoming cats, shouldn't we ask why is this trend happening? Many people have observed, it is because of the willingness of people to first of all, put up with it, and second of all, because of the attention it garners them, third of all, because social media promotes it. I'm, this, is, this is not really an exaggeration that you go online and you say, you know, it's, it's the craziest thing, but I just sometimes feel like, you know, i, I got to scratch my neck. That's because you're a dog. Oh, I guess I'm, yeah, maybe I'm a dog. You say, that's ridiculous. I say they're doing that with kids regarding their genders. You know, I, I, I'm kind of a tomboy. That's because you're a dude and not a goyle. That's what's going on online, but I think there's another realm that we should be peeking into to see what's the problem, what has changed in our world. I think that there are some institutions that we can take a look at to examine, have we changed? Are we failing young people in some way? The first institution, home. Are homes giving our kids the attention they need? Or is it possible that two-parent families that are, that are two-parent working families just aren't able to provide their kids the attention. And so they get it by becoming a kitty cat. Is that possible? Is 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 that maybe one of the reasons? Because kids, when they're buried in their phones, they're detached from relationship. They don't really get attention. That's why, that's why so many, they just live for the likes. We live for the thumbs up. We gotta see how many views did anybody tag me on my post? because it affirms and it gives attention that should be given inside of the home, second institution, the church. Are we providing a community for our kids where they feel like they belong and that we care and that we're actually interested in them? And I'll go a step further, believe that they have something to offer to us. It's funny. When I share with people uh, something that I learned several years ago, Because it is true, there are generational differences. That has always been the case. But you've likely, if you're a little bit older, have recognized, huh, the kids these days, they certainly seem to view the world through a different lens. And that it doesn't have to be a pejorative statement at all. It's just that they do it differently. Now, do I agree with all of the ways that they are viewing the world? No. But one thing that I learned from studying, the whippersnappers is, you know, there's some stuff about them that's really good. Huh. You know what? Maybe, just maybe, I and my generation could learn a little something from that. And that changed my tune about how to view generational differences. And it's funny. If I share that today, I get a mixed bag reaction. Some people are like, I don't know how you do it, man. These Gen Zs, they're just drive you nuts with their work ethic. They don't want to do anything. And they just want to live in a small house and travel That's one response. The other response is, yes, I've noticed that too. Maybe we all need to take a hard look and see if our churches send the message, we think you have something to offer. Because if not, all I can say is... There you go again. And now, without any (laughs) further ado... Like, okay, I just just had to clean the back of my <laughs> paw right there. Little, 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 what a little cat catnip. Catnip. What is yeah. catnip anyway? I think it makes them um, like it's like a drug. Yes, yes. What do we we're we're getting our cats stone? I, I believe so. Yeah. What is the point of this? So that we they can just amuse us? Do they get hyper or do they just crash and then want I, some Oreo cookies? I think it happens either way. Oh. Different effects your on results different cats. May vary. Here we go. Uh, for your consideration, a little and meow. Can you interpret that, Jimmy? Meow.
0: No, not yet.
2: Well, do you hate me? <laughs> do I hate you? You are you are so animal. You're an animal phobe. You're a feline phobe. That's what you are, (laughs) feline phobe. Is a bad story about the schools. Is actually a good story about the schools. Let's start with a Utah teacher. That's right. I said, Utah, (laughs) where are the Mormons? (laughs) She's waiting for pushback. I wonder if she'll get any because she set up her classroom for non-white students. That's right. The library inside of this particular classroom has some books that include straight cis white men. Yeah, you have to say it like that, because that's the disgust that comes behind it. Who, she says, dominate literature. Um, There's a reason there's something called history as a teacher. I would think you would get that nevertheless. But this library in the non-white students classroom, is overpowered, that's her word, by books depicting diverse peoples, including characters of color, different gender identities, and sexual orientations. There it is. Wonder if any Mormons or Christians, because they're two different things, will push back on that. Wisconsin school board votes to ban pride BLM flags from classrooms. Salute to Kettle Moraine School Board for saying, let's just get it all out. And by the way, that includes all, including religious posters or symbols. They don't want any of it. They, they, they don't want a rainbow flag. They don't want a BLM that 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 promotes definitely a Marxist ideology. And they also don't want posters like back the badge. They just want this. Get it out. I don't mind that personally. I I don't mind that. I'm okay with the school board, the school rooms being stripped of any ideologies, because even if we're allowed to put Christian stuff up, what Christian stuff is going to go up? The prayer of Jabez poster? Maybe, just maybe this is good for Christians too. The policy also includes banning teachers from including their preferred pronouns in email signatures. Wow. And that's in Wisconsin. Don't know if you've ever been there. It is a really great state. It is a lovely state. Just happens to be really liberal, <laughs> especially in Madison, Wisconsin. da! That is like just a beacon of progressivism. So salute to Kettle Moraine for saying, no, we're not playing those reindeer games. Loudoun County, Virginia. A father is seen in a video that's gone a bit viral, being tackled and dragged out of a school board meeting. T-shirt torn, hands cuffed, his mouth apparently bleeding. This 48-year-old dad committed the heinous crime of protesting the board's woke policy of gender-fluid bathrooms because... His daughter was sexually assaulted in one by a boy who, quote, sometimes wears a skirt. How offensive to women is that? That's all. it. Jimmy, you put on a skirt and say, no, it's not a kilt. Congratulations, you're a woman. (laughs) Really? That's all it takes these days? By the way, the kid was ultimately arrested because he committed another assault elsewhere. In other words, the dad was vindicated. During the meeting woke board members and some parents just wouldn't let him speak. They said they knew of no assaults in trans-friendly bathrooms and that the predator transgender student or person simply does not exist for losing his cool at this refusal to know the facts. Police took him out of the building. Texas schools hanging In God We Trust signs after new state law requires donated signs to be posting. We'll see how that one works out. Okay. I'm okay with In God We Trust. I'm okay with it. It wouldn't break my heart if it weren't there, but I'm okay with that. But yikes. When the Satanist Club says we're a religious organization, here's our poster. It's a picture of Harry Potter. Sorry, that was really cheap. So let me apologize. <laughs> this is Wretched Radio. Hey, isn't this groovy? Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an incendiary device, a pre-born clinic in Miami vandalized and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life and yet the preborn centers continue to open. support organizations like preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today offering freely loving Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the literal battle for life preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched.
0: Hey, hey, thank you for tuning in to Wretched Radio today. We certainly appreciate your time. Did you know there is actually something in existence that gives you information on things happening at Wretched? Things like upcoming product launches or details on upcoming seasons of our productions of Wretched Radio, Wretched TV, Road Trip to Truth, Transformed, and Breaking Bread. Also, information on job openings here at Wretched. Information on upcoming sales in the Wretched store. What I'm referring to is the monthly Wretched newsletter. If you're not already receiving the Wretched newsletter, you're missing out on all of these things and more. The Wretched Newsletter also contains thorough and in-depth messages on a wide range of theological topics. And that's not all. As a Wretched Newsletter subscriber, you're also eligible for resources that we give away daily here at Wretched. So sign up and don't miss out on any of this stuff by becoming a Wretched Newsletter subscriber by visiting our website at wretched.org, scroll to the bottom of the page and fill out the form. Wretched Amazing
2: Grace amazing gospel. How's inflation been treating you? If costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home, would you please visit MediShare.com slash Wretched. Affordable, biblical health Sharing Christians paying for other Christians' medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. <laughs>
1: God has given the church many gifts for the building up of the body. One gift is giving. All Christians are commanded to give, but God has given some an extra measure of generosity so that they can give generously, knowing that God will provide for them as they work to provide for the needs of the
2: church. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Yes, Pastor, I'm afraid we're talking about... You, this is Wretched Radio, a subject that is near and dear to all of our Christian hearts because we all listen and love to hear preaching. We dig sermon hour. However, there are a lot of people who don't dig sermon hour. They prefer sermon 15 minutes. In other words, the debate over how long a sermon should go, it has been a raging battle. You'll hear people say, well, you know, the Puritans, two hours, three hours sometimes. So zip it when it comes to a 20-minute sermon. Okay, can we look back at history and determine how long a sermon should be? Or do we perhaps need, and this is, always, this is always a challenge, do we need to take a look at our current context and culture and ask, how long should a sermon be? Not because I'm trying to accommodate people, but because I'm just trying to be wise. For instance, I could try to build the case with your child. You need to lecture them on making their bed every day for two hours. I, I could I could make that case not well, but I could make the case. And you would say that's excessive. It's a child. They can't pay attention to anything for two hours like that. Unfortunately, these days, a lot of us are pretty childish in that regard. We can't pay attention. It's affected all of us. There is no question about it. Your viewing habits have changed. Here's a statistic for you to support that, I think, pretty obvious statement. Do you know how long a YouTube video has to keep somebody engaged? In other words, how long does it take for a person? They click on a YouTube video. the thumbnail caught their attention. The title was catchy. it applied to them. Click. How long? Does a the average person watch that video before determining to go? I'm out, Jimmy. Twenty seconds. Not even close. Really. Mm-hmm. Want to try again? Five seconds. Three. Wow. Three seconds. Why? That's it's the way that we're all being trained. I got it. I I felt it in myself yesterday. I'm busy. I actually left the office <laughs> and found myself in the basement of my house because I'm working on. Uh, 13 scripts for Road Trip to Truth season four. And I needed to concentrate. But guess what? Leaving the office and sitting in the basement of our house all by myself, I was still distracted. The phone is right there, just right. And I kept just, texting you. I'll just check. You kept texting me, the <laughs> naive. You can't help it. That's just the way that our brains are wired and trained maybe just maybe this rather helpful list from for the church 10 reasons your sermons shouldn't be too short or too long will guide all of us without compromising i i think the ideal is hey look 2 hours no no problem that that should be it but are we really compromising on the focus and elevation that we put on the preaching of the word of God by saying, maybe there should be limits. And there's some considerations that don't mean compromise. It just means wise. Number one, your sermon shouldn't be too short because Sunday is often the only Bible your people will get each week. Sadly, that's true. Some churches and even in good churches, people dutifully go for whatever reason. And it's the only time that a Bible is spoken to them where they hear the word read, or they hear preaching. Now, it could be somebody who's just checking out the church, but it could be the kids. It could be some parents who are still drinking a whole lot of milk, and it's the only milk that they get Sunday morning. So if you just do this 15-minute business, you're you're just not feeding the people that need nourishment a lot. Number two, your sermon shouldn't be too short, because the Word of God is Worthy of sustained attention, not drive-by sampling. Short shrifting, uh, the sermon, communicates to the people that the Bible is not worth gazing at. This is a, this is a line that you're, you hear on YouTube, in youth groups all the time. All right, man, let's just do it. We're just going to do this really quick, man. Open up your Bible. Okay, you don't have to open a Bible. That's okay. Don't worry. If you got it on your phone, that's cool. But don't worry. We'll get through this really fast. What does that communicate? Number three, your sermon shouldn't be too short because hearing from God, and I don't mean in a voice, I mean hearing from God through the mouth of a sinful man as the word gets exegeted should have the most prominent place in the gathering. It should be longer than worship. I'm sorry, it just should. And these days, isn't the trend, when are we going to get to sit down? And on and on the music goes, and the worship team, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then, okay, everybody, morning! And then we zip through a sermon. What does it say? That singing songs to God is more important than hearing from God. This is not to suggest worship is insignificant. Of course it's not. But the Word should be preeminent. Why? Because this is God's Word. He's communicating to us. This is from Cripplegate. No, for the church, one in the same. God deserves our words, but he can live without them. We, on the other hand, cannot live without a word from God. Ain't it the truth? Number four, sermons shouldn't be too short because the church should subvert, not support, convenience culture. We recognize that we are getting trained to have a shorter and shorter attention span The church needs to buck against that trend. No, we're not playing those reindeer games. We've got something worthy of your attention. And I think there's some validity to an argument to a degree. Hey, you can sit and watch a football game for three hours. Why can't you listen to a 30-minute sermon? To a degree, I get that. But let's be honest, it's a different thing. Listening to a sermon demands work, attention, some discipline because our bodies buck against the consumption of the Word of God. Let's not go with the trend. Don't make your sermons too short. The church isn't called to reflect the culture back to itself, but to train followers of Jesus to live in countercultural ways. Number five, sermons that are too short just don't do justice to biblical texts. What is too short? Well, let's take a look at the five ways that your sermon, five reasons your sermon shouldn't be too long, and maybe that'll answer your question. Number one, overly long sermons often dilute the substance of meaningful exposition. This is really interesting from For the Church. My diagnosis for too long sermons is usually that the preacher's trying to do too much. You don't have to say everything the text brings to your preparation. Now you, you 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 can leave stuff out. A judicious self-editing is one of the preacher's best tools. If your sermon is too long, it's likely that you are distracting people with rabbit trails, soapboxes, varying perspective on the on the text. Well, you know, this sect of Christians would say that maybe they we don't need to, that can just be edited out because it dilutes the oh. Of a sermon. A verse should have a smack and a sting, and a sermon should have a purpose and a point. You should feel it and be moved to love Jesus more when you're done. And if you're going all over the place, you're distracting, you're watering that down, and therefore your sermon is too long. Number two, there is such a thing as fatiguing people's ability to receive information. Just as it's not good to accommodate people's short attention span, it's also not good to test their endurance. Maybe build it up. Your people can only do 30 minutes. Okay. You can live with that for a bit. Then you start going 32, 34, 35. And you you grow them and build them in that endurance. You don't test it. People have a limit when it comes to downloading information. This is not a compromise. Don't you want people to love Jesus more when it's all done? Of course you do. If you just go on and on because you think that we're compromising by not preaching the word for 75 minutes on a Sunday, well, well, then you're diluting the purpose of the entire endeavor. Number three, the aim of a sermon is worship, not exhaustive knowledge. That's that's why I've heard Steve Lawson, who who teaches expository preaching. He's the homiletics prof, the head of the division at Master SEM. And I think at Ligonier, he said, too many sermons are just a download dump. That's not what preaching is. Number four, it is better to leave people wanting more than wishing there'd been less. Many sermons are too long because the pastor just doesn't know how to land that plane. So if this this is from for the church, if you are looking to the clock and going, ah, I got to really hurry to get this out, you're probably just doing too much. And finally number 5, brace yourself for this one. Pastor whom we love. You're probably not that good of a preacher. I didn't say it this guy and this thing, for the church said it. If somebody's been preaching faithfully for a few decades, they they probably are better. And maybe those sermons can be longer. But maybe you're not there yet, and you should consider that. Don't worry, you'll grow. The Lord will expand your abilities. Don't think that you're you're being unfaithful because you don't go as long as some of the big boys can go. How long should a sermon be? Consider why it shouldn't be too short. Consider why it shouldn't be too long. And then arrive at that conclusion. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.